You're listening to Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. I'm your host, John Martin. Thanks for tuning in. We greatly appreciate your interest in these radio talks, you know, and today Brian continues answering listeners' questions. Now, there's no booklet to accompany this series of uh, 10 answers, but as Brian responds to each new question each week, you might recognise it as the one you asked. If you do, please tell us whether or not Brian's answer has been a help. Uh, Brian seeks to answer your questions as fully and honestly as possible, always looking for scriptural backup from the Bible to support his views. But occasionally, uh, and as is the case today, there's no conclusive answer from scripture, and uh, Brian is going to say so. However, if you have a valuable additional point, then perhaps that could be helpful and we'd be very interested to hear it. So please do write in. Uh, questions such as can we really be sure of salvation what is blasphemy against the holy spirit is there a christian way to find a marriage partner remain to be answered in the coming weeks but let's go now to our question for today one of our listeners asks why was salvation such a long time coming so brian tell us what you think Right, John, I'll try to do that. But first, it might be worth saying that the listener who asked this question is from Yorkshire in the UK, and he writes to tell us that he listens every morning to TWR on shortwave and appreciates receiving the booklets he gets from us. So that's nice. Tells us he became a Christian in 1967, but one question has always intrigued him. As he says, it concerns the timing of God's provision of salvation at the cross through Jesus Christ. Our listener's point is that there's such a long time interval between when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden and the time when Jesus died on the cross to save us from the consequence of their sin and our own sins, all by the Lord's grace. Our listener says, I can't understand why there was such a long time interval. It's always good to have personal contact with a listener. Well, this is certainly an interesting question, and I doubt if there's a certain answer to it. Here are a few of my reactions. First, let's share a couple of verses from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, Peter says, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. As early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, in fact, as soon as the original sin had taken place, God promised salvation when he said that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. When the Apostle Peter comments that God is not slow concerning his promise, he was telling us that God is never in a hurry and that he works to a different timescale from ours. For one thing, he gives people time to repent. Even now, 2,000 years after the cross, the world has not yet been delivered from the curse which was imposed in the Garden of Eden. Having said that, let's consider the chronology spanning the Old Testament of the Bible. We presume the original sin took place quite soon after the creation of Adam and Eve and their being placed in the Garden. Surely Satan wouldn't have wasted time in attacking God's masterpiece. If we accept the genealogies in Genesis as being complete genealogical lists, unlike those in Matthew's Gospel, then the flood in the time of Noah took place 1,656 years after the creation of Adam. Two or three hundred more years after the flood, when the nations shut out God at Babel, God in turn shut the nations out 
by selecting Abraham as the one through whom he'd develop his purposes, purposes which would ultimately become worldwide. After another 600 or so years, so by now we're talking of something like 900 years after the flood, God brought Israel out of Egypt by the hand of Moses. Israel then became God's covenant people, with the Ten Commandments revealing God's all-time standards. They were given God's law, the law of Moses. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 tells us that God regarded this period of history, lasting 1,500 more years until Christ, to be like the time that we spend in school. In other words, it was like a learning period, a learning curve, we might say. You see, it was God's intention for the law to prepare the way for Israel and later for the world to receive Christ. Here's what it actually says in Galatians 3 verse 22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Some of the foundational things that had to be taught were the obvious inadequacy of the system of sacrifices, the awful reality of sin, the need for forgiveness, and the total inability of human effort and animal victims to provide lasting forgiveness. What's more, the idea of a life for a life, that is the idea of sacrifice or substitution, had to be demonstrated prior to Christ's arrival in order to explain why it was that Jesus had to die for us on the cross as the Lamb of God. The whole Old Testament background set the scene for the gospel to be preached in an understandable way after the cross. With the scene then set, we read, still in Galatians, but now chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice the expression there, the fullness of the times. The time when Christ came and died was, in God's sovereign working, a very strategic time indeed. The influence of Greek culture and the spread of the Greek language were major features at this point in history. The Greek speaker then would have been like the English speaker now, in addition to that, the power of Rome had subdued a large part of the world, certainly around the Mediterranean region, from Spain to Israel and including northern Africa. For a while, they brought relative peace and civilization, and not least, a wonderful communications network of well-built roads. All of this, in a most practical way, ensured that immediately following the cross, the apostles and others could rapidly spread the good news of Christianity. But God's bigger picture promised to Abraham in Genesis 12 and verse 3 had to be worked out also. Remember, that promise in Genesis 12 had mentioned a worldwide blessing. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
as that shows, God's rescue plan was not going to be for Israel alone. Romans 11 verse 11 to 15 shows how God, in breathtaking wisdom, actually appointed Israel's failure to receive Christ in order to bring in all the other nations of the world into the scope of his offer of salvation. This is what it says, Paul speaking, Romans 11 verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure, that's Israel's failure, is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The reconciliation of the world, that is, of people the world over, is on offer now through the gospel as it is preached worldwide in this present church age. Then after taking the church, all true believers in Christ to heaven, God will again deal directly with the Jews, clearing up his unfinished business with them. These are just some of the biblical indications as to why God allowed history to run its course from Adam to Christ, whom it calls the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. God's sovereign management of the affairs of this world include the distinguishing of different periods such as from Adam until Moses, a period referenced in Romans 5 and verse 14. Then there's the period of the law and the prophets, as spoken about in Luke 16 and verse 16. Then there's a so-called church age, mentioned in Ephesians 3, verses 9 and 10. And then the time of great distress, later, Daniel 12 and 1 and Luke 21. And the fullness of the times, mentioned in Ephesians 1 and verse 10. That's a time period when after his return, Christ will reign on this earth. God has set out the management of world history in these distinct periods. God, as we said, is in no hurry. Before he even began the work of creation, he'd already determined that the cross was going to take place. God's been waiting a lot longer than we have. In fact, the cross was precisely scheduled before day one of earth history. The cross wasn't at all any kind of damage limitation, belated or otherwise. Let's confirm God's timing in the words of Romans 5 and verse 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. John's Gospel frequently refers to the hour of Jesus' death by Old Testament foreshadowings and prophecies. The precise moment in history of Christ's death was predetermined in God's overall plan, right down to pinpointing the precise hour when he would die on the cross. We can only say, in answer to today's question, that God's timing, as well as his way, is perfect.
But now here's our postal and our email address, so you can write in. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Although there's no booklet for this series on listeners' questions, you can still access the many booklets for subjects and studies which we previously presented here on SFT, Search for Truth. So you still have opportunity to enjoy these at uh, your leisure, and each week I'll remind you of a different method of obtaining them. For instance, by looking up www.searchfortruth.org.uk, you'll find our church's main website where you can download some actual programmes and their accompanying transcripts, as well as accessing other helpful material. So also look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. We're excited that this will give you yet another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on air. So that's all for now. But if you're a regular listener, I hope you're enjoying this series of answers to listeners' questions. Many thanks for the pleasure of your company. Next week, Brian tackles the question, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? So if you want to know, then please join us again. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, our Bible teacher, David, our studio technician, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Mm -hmm.